What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Hanging in there, Sean. How are you? Doing well. We uh, This morning, Derek, we had an interview with Kentucky's newest addition to the football coaching staff, running backs coach and special teams, Jamal Singleton. Uh, moving over to the collegiate game from the Cincinnati Bengals. So I know that's a name that you've known, uh, being a fan of the Bengals. So uh, what do you think about the hire, and what did you think about his first introductory press conference to media and the fans? Well, really, really a good interview, I thought. High energy. Um, You know, I think they really did a good job with this hire. Once it was, uh, I guess it was Sunday, whenever Football Scoop reported that that was going to be the likely hire, it really made a lot of sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who uh, Liam Cohen's system is not going to be identical to what Zach Taylor runs with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, but it's kind of the same coaching tree. Obviously, both those guys worked under Sean McVay. So you would you would expect um, Jamal Singleton to have a pretty good idea of the terminology, some of the things that uh, he's going to be looking for, uh, Liam, that is. And then also just the recruiting angle. I mean, this is a guy who spent time at the Air Force Academy. It's his alma mater. He was there a number of years before moving over to Oklahoma State. It's a Big 12 school. He recruited there uh, and coached there from 2011 to 2014. And then he spent a season with uh, Brett Bielema at uh, Arkansas. And, of course, Stoops and Bielema are pretty close. So once I saw some of those connections, it made a lot of sense. And that's not even counting Brad White, who he coached with at the Air Force Academy and then with the Indianapolis Colts uh, whenever he first went to the NFL. So this is a guy with NFL experience, uh, coached some really good running backs. He, I think he'll be a, a good asset. We're not, we're not really sure yet. It wasn't really clear, and he might not even have an idea yet of where he will be recruiting because, Sean, you talk about a crazy story. I mean, well, I want to say crazy. Probably a typical military Brett type of story. You just don't see that in coaching much, I guess. Uh, born in Turkey. His mom's from Britain, he said. His dad is from Louisiana. And he moved all over. So yeah. I don't know where he even considers his hometown or home place or whatever because uh, he's been all over the place. But wherever he goes, I think uh, his resume should be pretty impressive towards recruits. Yeah, uh, that was uh, the biggest takeaway for me was, uh, you know, how everywhere he had been, the experience that he has – and then he mentioned it too, you know, having that NFL experience, and now he can bring that to the to the college game and the recruiting landscape, and say, hey, I know what you need to do to play at not only the collegiate level, but to get to the NFL. I was blown away by it, Derek. I think it's a home run hire for that position, and adding a guy like that to the staff, you can already tell. I think players are going to like his personality and the energy yeah. that he brings. And uh, I thought it was interesting too that he mentioned the facilities when he was down at Kentucky a few years ago for the the combine that they put on there. He said he was just blown away 
with the commitment to football. Didn't really know a lot about Kentucky football leading up to that. So that's an encouraging thing on UK's front, Derek, that the facilities and the investments that they've made in the football program, it's still paying off. It is. Yeah, he said he was down there scouting Benny Snell back in 2018, or probably early 2019 at that point, uh, after that season. And, you know, he had Brad White down there. It sounded like Brad was someone who probably pushed for that. Maybe not pushed for it, but Stoops was, was a pretty good reference, I would say. I mean, he talked about their relationship. Uh, I had thought about asking Jamal about that today, but I held off. I'm not waiting until later because – I think he would probably have a pretty interesting perspective on Brad White, considering he knew him way back when he was just getting started and coaching at Air Force, and then he knew him a few years later when they were together in Indy. And now, as Brad is a going to be going on his third year as a defensive coordinator, I mean, he he should be somebody with a pretty good perspective on how Brad's grown in that role. So, you know, in terms of coaching, I mean, he's a I guess you could call him a veteran running back coach, but he's just 45 years old, and he's not like uh, he should still be close enough to be able to connect with these kids on the trail. Although it was a really good hire, and that uh, unless there is some unexpected turnover, I mean the coaching carousel is still going. We'll mention that a little bit later in this episode. Um, unless there are some more changes, like the staff is complete now um, on offense. You got Liam Cohen coaching quarterbacks and the ZOC Singleton's on running backs. Javon Boonite's still there at wide receiver. And then of course, Vince Merrow, Todd Ends and Eric Wolford on the offensive line. So definitely a, a different looking staff this year. Um, I, I think as of now, I would, I think it's got a pretty good chance to be an upgrade, but we'll need to see them in action first before anointing them in that role. But, um, I would say a, a pretty, a pretty strong off season, um, in terms of, and, and when I said uh, the upgrade, I was more specifically <laughs> referring to the two coaches who were fired uh, in regards to Eddie Grant and Darren Henshaw with, with Cohen and Singles and taking those spots. I mean, I just think it's really interesting the route Stoops has gone with the NFL in making some of these hires. Well, that's actually what I was about to ask you. What do you think about that? Because there's obviously a commitment there, Derek, that you, you have three guys now that I know of for sure who have NFL experience. Uh, yeah, I mean – I don't know how much I go back to Brad White on that, but I really think he just, you know, Matt House had some NFL experience before he came here, but it does seem like since Brad White, he's really gone after guys who have spent a little bit of time. I mean, more specifically with even Eric Wolford, who the majority of his career, I mean, almost his entire career has been college coaching, but he even had that one year, one or two years maybe with the San Francisco 49ers. So, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I think that's where you see more uh, – I don't, I don't know if I want to say innovation or not, but you, you definitely see, like, it's it's a trend now, I would say. I mean, LSU just hired um, a guy, I think, from the Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator, or someone who was close with Joe Brady. Of course, the Joe Brady experiment down in LSU worked really well uh, for the national championship. So, like, Kentucky, it's I think they're just kind of adopting that trend. And Singleton, I think, is unique just because he did spend a lot of years coaching college ball before going to the NFL. So I will be really curious to see how he recruits in that role because, I mean, he's got the sales pitch where you know he was already recruiting kids in college for a long time. And now how does he kind of incorporate what he learned at that level? And, and just how does that kind of play with recruits? Because 
if anything, Eddie Grant was a fantastic running back coach. He he proved that his whole career. UK's rushing game was always very strong with him here. So I don't think he should have had any issue getting good running backs there, but I think Jamal Singleton will be uh, – I think he could probably bring another level to that running back recruiting. At least uh, I think that's probably the hope. Yeah, uh, that's actually what I was about to bring up is Eddie Grant. I'm just – I'm all over whatever you're going to say. I'm just – it's not that Kyler Murray commercial with Tim Tebow. I'm just one step ahead of you. Well, Every time Derek, Eddie Grant, he elevated that spot for Kentucky. Yeah. He made it an intriguing piece of this program for – it probably made this hire easier for Mark Stoops, given the success that they've had at that position in the last few years. And you look, you know, Benny Snell, and then you look at A.J. Rose, who sneaky, one of the best running backs that they've had in program history, just going off statistics alone. I mean, you could say what we can say what everything about AJ when it comes to you know fumbles and some situations like that, but statistically he was a good running back. And now you got Chris Rodriguez in the program. There, that position has just been the elevated position in my opinion when you look at the guys that they've had. But it's not like they've been going out and getting five star running backs. Exactly. So that's a great point. Yeah. So what's the move now? Because you've you've been able to sell success at that position you get someone in there who can kind of maybe take the recruiting to another level still maintain that on-field success he mentioned Kentucky's offensive line and how intrigued he is by the pieces they have coming back and he even said that that's where it all starts Derek is with the offensive line so it seems like that even though that there's going to be a philosophy change on the offensive side running the football and establishing that ground game is still going to be a, a significant part of this Kentucky offense moving forward it will be, and, you know, they've not really signed an elite running back, I would say, <laughs> probably on paper. Obviously, Benny Snell was certainly an elite running back, but since Boom Williams, I mean, way back in 2014, that class, uh, Mikael Horton was also a four-star in that same class, but besides that, it's been a whole lot of mid-level three-star guys who have all produced pretty well. I mean, they've had a few guys transfer out of that position. Brian Kobach was one who – that was some family issues, but even he, I think, would have been a pretty good running back at Kentucky had he stayed around. So if there's anything that's a little bit perplexing to me, it's that – and, and that, uh, you could probably make the argument that it's not mattered much because these guys like Benny Snell have been so good. Uh, Rose is very good as a mid-level three-star. Chris Rodriguez is next in that line of guys who weren't highly ranked but have produced at a very high level. Same deal with Cavassier Smoke. Um so, well, speaking of the recruiting rankings, though, but if you do include just 24-7's rankings, and I think ESPN as well, Jatama McClain was a four-star running back, so he's been one of the highest-rated guys since then. But looking forward, I mean, a guy like Lavelle Wright had some pretty good offers from some some of these regional teams like Duke, Louisville, um, West Virginia, teams like that. But it has been a little – like if there was any position you could sell on this offense to come into some stud players like – you would think they would have no trouble getting some really good running backs to commit to the school. So that's where I'll be curious to see. And I think the angle we should probably bring up is it's just in this Zoom kind of world, like it's it's a little tougher, I think, to establish relationships. And you never really expect a whole lot. Like John Summerall is probably the exception where he just kind of killed it his first year on the recruiting trail at Kentucky. Um, he used some of those connections he'd made in the South. Got some guys like Josiah Hayes, and uh, I know he was. I know he recruited some other guys, but I'm blanking on who it was in 2020. But he did a really good job with that class. So 
it's usually the second year though, second or third year that you see those guys who are new coaches really come into their own and pull some kids. But I would just think given Singleton's background and probably what they're going to be able to sell with this NFL type offense, I think you should see a decent amount of, of highly rated backs, at least take a look at Kentucky um, this cycle and certainly in 2023. Yeah. Uh, given the season that they had, Derek, I know the regular season didn't go as planned for Kentucky. They they did get that momentum and end on a positive note with the bowl game. But when you look at all the, the things that have been able to work out for Mark Stoops in the last, let's say, four weeks, there's more positive buzz for the program. Once again, you, you said it earlier on a few episodes ago, Kentucky football wins the off season, and that's where it starts. Like I think they're winning it not only with some positive PR, but I think they're also winning it with the fan base, which I think is a big thing too as well going into next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still waiting on pretty much Jamin Davis, I think, in terms of an NFL decision. He's the last guy. It sounds good on that front for Kentucky that he'll come back. Um That'll just be another piece. I mean, he'll really solidify that defense next year if he comes back in the middle. But I guess I'll be curious now. You know, Liam Liam is still out in Los Angeles. Uh, next time they lose, though, he's, he's, he'll be in Lexington, I'm sure. So don't know how much he's going to be able to do in that kind of time frame. But, um, yeah, here before too long, we'll have plenty of storylines to kind of get caught up on. Some other news, uh, I know we're going to dig into – one of these QB transfers quite a bit. But, Sean, I think we had to know when Nick Scalzo went to Twitter on Tuesday and tweeted out a video of him kind of carving up uh, the defense on special – or on a scout team, excuse me, and saying his knee was 100% healthy, I knew right then that kid was in the portal. You said it. <laughs> you know, just kinda... I texted you and I said, why am I falling in love with this highlight tape? And you said, <laughs> and you said something like, he's going to the portal. And then, like, literally not even 24 hours later, he's in the portal. And you had no idea. Like, you didn't know, but you you could read exactly why that was out there. And uh, he was showing that he's healthy. And this is a kid, Derek, that he put two years into this program, never was healthy. But he has all four years of eligibility remaining to go play somewhere else. Yeah, he does. I mean, that's that's a really good thing for him. I mean, he's someone that this extra year is really going to benefit because – I mean, he can go somewhere. I, I saw he tweeted today that he had an offer from Miss, uh, Middle Tennessee State. And I, I do think he was someone – obviously, he had some, like, broader – I'll say fame. He wasn't, like, a famous quarterback. But being on the Netflix show, I do think, had him a bigger audience than you would expect for a player who was ranked of his yeah. uh, stature. And but I do think he was someone that like I can remember Stoops talking about him uh, before he got hurt. I mean he he probably would have played his freshman year once all those other quarterbacks went down, had he been healthy enough. And who knows how the trajectory could have changed then. I do think that tape that he put out there looked pretty good, but I mean it's a highlight tape, so who knows? Every other throw he might have been throwing a pick for all we know. But uh, <laughs> if you, he, if he you pull out my best throws from the backyard, I can put a good highlight video out there too. Yeah. So. <laughs> His transfer, though, I mean, it does bring up, I mean, they're only going to have three scholarship guys now in that room because Terry's gone. Let's go ahead. Let's go and talk about that before we well, get into the I'm going to make one prediction before we get into that. Nick Scalzo will be on a roster that Kentucky plays in the future. 
I'm just going to go ahead and so. say that. Yeah, because, you know, Middle Tennessee State, that's a team Kentucky's played. It, he'll be on a roster. Seems like that happens more often than, than not. So I, I could see that happening, playing out. It would be something if he came in here uh, and, and did that. But, yeah, I think he's probably like a conference USA level type quarterback. And let's talk about Terry. We 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 were going to hold off, I think, talking about this until he committed somewhere, but we might as well go ahead and get out of the way now. Um while we're on a football episode. But by now, I mean, this is Thursday. This happened on Monday night. So by now, you certainly know that Terry Wilson is uh, in the transfer portal. I've not seen actually any updates for him since he's gone in there. I don't know how quick of a process he's looking to make. Um, But he le- he leaves behind a, a a very interesting legacy, Sean. I'll put it that way. He does. Uh, It's going to be one, Derek, that I think that – down the road we'll look at everybody will look at a little differently than they do right now but he said on this show last year well not last year it was august i think that you know this was his final ride and i think we just took that as last ride in general but it was his final ride at kentucky so he will be playing somewhere else next year i think that obviously he can help a program I'm interested and intrigued to see where he ends up. Uh, not going to make a prediction and say it's somebody that Kentucky plays, like I did with <laughs> Nick Scalzo. But it, it's interesting. And his legacy, I mean, he did. I mean, there's no way that you can say otherwise. He beat Florida at Florida, beat Louisville at Louisville, beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Uh, I know he was on a team in 2018 that was by far the greatest in 40 years that Kentucky had had. So viewing his legacy – I think it'll be one of those that you kind of appreciate more as time moves on just for, for what he did and how he did help the program. I mean, class guy, Derek. I think that's the okay. biggest thing that you can take away from Terry Wilson's time at Kentucky. He handled a lot of things. and We've seen guys handle situations far worse, but he was able to finish this season out and fight through it, which I think was a big thing for his legacy. Yeah, he um... – he seemed like a player to me, and you're right. I mean, he's a terrific guy, everything I've seen or heard. I mean, I think he had – I think what this tells you, and I'm happy for him that he will get a chance to prove prove himself. I really feel like he just was not a good fit with Eddie Grant, and I, and I truly think him deciding to play an extra year, a lot of this goes in, I think, wanting to show that he's better than what he showed at Kentucky. And uh, – you can't take away those ones he had. You're exactly right. I mean, in terms of a wins that made folks in this fan base very, very happy, like he was involved with many of those. So I think that's going to be his legacy more than more than anything else. Because you can say what you want. I it was not. It was not all ever his fault in terms of the offense, but you kind of have to reconcile his legacy with the fact that they finished last in passing both years that he started. Um, by the time he left, I mean, it's like I said, it's not all his fault, but the OC was gone. I mean, it was fired. The quarterback coach was fired. Like they're just, they just didn't get enough really from that position. And that's nothing surprising in the Stoops era. That's kind of the thing about, about Terry is it's been in terms of the wins that he stands out probably more than anybody. I don't think by any means he was the best quarterback of this Stoops era. I think Steven Johnson's career was far better, which I think would come as a pretty big surprise because I can remember even talking to Mark Stoops prior to that 2018 year. I, I truly feel like they thought they had something pretty, pretty good in Terry. 
and he showed that very early in his career at Florida. Um, maybe the only annoyance I had, it's not even it has nothing to do with Terry as as a player, as a person. Like I, I did always feel like there was kind of this over. He was people were just very protective. I thought of him and like he he. I don't think I had this blind spot, not to pat myself on the back, but like you had a lot of people who only wanted to throw that 12 and 3 number in your face the whole preseason, just 12 and 3, 12 and 3, 12 yeah. and 3, they win games. Whenever it's not really, like I said, it's not really a true stat. Like for as many games as you could say he helped them win, he could go to, got benched at Missouri, got benched against Central Michigan. Um, he got benched well. this year. Yeah. Didn't play well against Vanderbilt that first year either. Well Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah. So Tennessee, that's why, Tennessee. and that's not to like, it's not to pick on him, but like, I do wonder now if kind of this overprotection of Terry will fade a little bit now that he's going to go somewhere else. I mean, I'm sure it won't. If that's what I'm saying, he'll have a chance. If he's better than I thought that he is, then he'll have a chance to prove that wherever he goes next. I I personally think that he is a okay quarterback, and to be quite frank, I think many of the QBs in our lifetime would have had no problem doing exactly what he did in terms of winning some of those games like when he used the things like okay he won these big games I think you just need to leave them in that uh well in that frame because Tim Couch uh, okay Tim Couch never beat Florida or Tennessee who, who was a better quarterback you know Andre Woodson didn't beat those two teams Jared Lorenzen didn't beat those teams like those guys all had much much better college careers than Terry Wilson had um so that's where I think his legacy needs to be just and the, let's he was say a part of some happy too. moments when when Terry got to Kentucky, the program was established, you know, more yeah. than it had been in a decade. And, I mean, you kind of reap the benefits. If you had brought Patrick Tolles to that roster in 2018, what would Kentucky have done offensively? Or, you know, a healthy Drew Barker? I, I, I don't know. Like, it's – that's the thing that – that's that's the – I guess it's kind of what makes it difficult to judge anybody's career. Yeah. You, you, could all, you could all come up with all kinds of uh, situations and scenarios. Like a guy, them. though – like Andre Woodson was like that part of Kentucky's, I say rise out of, I mean, off of probation and to where they got to where they were able to beat the top team in the country. He was very, very important in that rise. And you saw the steep, I mean, think about the poor guy in Mike Hartline. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but like people didn't think Mike Hartline was any good, even his last year at UK. And as it's turned out, you would kill for that production the last 10 years You would. <laughs> that he was able to offer well, back in 2010. And no one has even matched that since then. And I will say this, you know, Florida stands out to me. They beat Florida that night in Florida because Terry Wilson had some really good moments in that game. Like he was instrumental in winning that game. But I could also say this. There were games that season had Gunnar Hoke played in it. The results still would have been the same. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fully believe that. Like you, maybe not Missouri because that game was just so weird. But I think that had he played some of those other games, Vandy, I think the result could have still been the same. Louisville, I still think that they would have beaten Louisville by a big margin. So, but Terry left his mark on the program. He won a lot of games, and he'll be remembered, Derek, regardless of whether people thought he was a good quarterback or not or just an average quarterback. He made an impact. Yeah, I mean, his spot in U.K. lore is, I mean, it's it's there forever. Um, first quarterback in school history to throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000. Like, I mean, he, he did some good things. There's no question about it. Um, I thought you put it pretty well, though. He, he really did benefit, and – I think what you mean when you said the program was established, like in terms of a win-loss record, no, it wasn't. Like, yes, he elevated it, 
when he got here when they got the 10 wins. But, you know, a lot of that success certainly fell, I think, on the shoulders of an NFL running back and three or four starters off that defense who played in the NFL. A couple of NFL draft picks on the offensive line. Like, Stoops had built the program to that point where, you know, that's another thing, too. Uh, probably the last thought I'll have on Terry is for a guy who was kind of a last-minute plan, really. I mean, he, he was someone that only came on the radar late November after Jaron Williams had decommitted. I mean, think of all the things that had to happen for him to end up being Kentucky's starter for three years. They Drew Barker, one, was injured uh, a few years before that, so he could have been a senior the first year Terry started. Mac Jones, whatever Mac Jones turned into at Alabama, who knows if he probably wouldn't have done the same thing at Kentucky, um, but certainly probably would have been a starter here. Jaron Williams, same deal. And put it this way too, Sean, and I'm not trying to make anybody mad when I say this, but like even the three years Terry was here, like it never really lined up for anyone to seriously challenge him as a starter. No. But there just was not a ton of talent in that room. I mean, they had to pick up Sawyer Smith last year. Well, uh, 2019, just to kind of have a backup that year. And then this year, I guess you could say the the dynamics were different this year, though. Like, Terry was coming off of an injury. You knew UK staff was going to give him every chance to be the starting quarterback. And then it got to a point where the offense was just so bad. They didn't want to put Bo in. You know, Gatewood. So this was the one year you could say, pure talent-wise, yeah, they might have had a few guys who could challenge him. But just the way things lined up, I'm not surprised, I guess, with how they treated the quarterbacks this year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. I think that Terry was Terry was the bridge here to what they want to do moving forward. It was very important that Terry play the full season, and Terry was I mean he was instrumental too in some of the success that they had this year. He had he had a good I mean he played a really good game against Ole Miss, so he had his moments, Derek, and they finished with a bowl win. He was able to win two bowl games during his time at Kentucky, so his legacy will forever be remembered. But well, that Ole Miss game is exactly like why the win loss stat is just not very like it's not very good because he played way more of a role in helping them try to win that game, running for three touchdowns, uh, throwing for a one fifty or whatever, running for a ton. Like he did way more to help them win that game than he did Vanderbilt in twenty eighteen. You know, so that's just why I don't really like that stat. Yeah, but uh, there will be people fifteen twenty years from now who will say that Terry was the biggest reason Kentucky had all that success and there'll be people say that he wasn't. That's just the way this thing works. Uh I do think that they have some quarterbacks on the roster right now who I think could make a big impact and continue moving the program forward. Uh Bo Allen especially. I think that's the guy long term who you could see have a ton of success and be how important is it, Derek, that let's say let's say five years from now Four years from now, we're doing Kentucky Daily still, and we have an episode, and we look back on Bo Allen's career, and I think that this is the buzz that's kind of around it. He could be one of those generational quarterbacks that Kentucky fans fall in love with and they never forget, like some of the names that you mentioned. Being an in-state kid and with the ability that he has that we know in the recruiting process and what we've got, what little we've got to see and the way the staff talks about him, I think that Mark Stoops and the staff hope they have their their very own Jared Lorenzen or Andre Woodson right here in the program now, and it's been a while. Well, I'll say this. I mean, as nice as I can, like, it's past time that they have a quarterback who succeeds at this school, like, in a big way. I mean, Stoops is about to be going into, what, his ninth year yeah, <laughs> at it, Kentucky, and their quarterback play has been very spotty, I would say. It's been plug and fill. 
in my yeah, opinion. Like, like, they've never had the guy that they wanted first yeah. at any point. So, Bo is certainly, I think, obviously I'll be stunned if he's not the quarterback next year. I mean, I think they're going to give Gatewood a, a chance, but Kaya Sheeran, I mean, he's got no real shot next year. I mean, he would have to be, like, disaster scenario, honestly, to where he would play. I think they're going to add another quarterback. I, I couldn't tell you where it's going to be, who it's going to be, but it just common sense with the numbers tells you that they would really be risking things going into next year with the way that their current um, depth chart looks in terms of numbers. So I think you're right with, with, with uh, what you're talking about. I mean, I think I would go as far to say, Sean, that I think Stoops, when he went out to do this OC search, had Bo in mind as the guy that he wanted the new OC to build with. So I mean Liam Cohen said his name. <laughs> in Liam that Cohen press knew who he was. You know, I think I think Stoops I, mean, I think Stoops wants Bo to be the guy. I think they were really impressed by what they saw. I mean Bo's a very smart kid, uh, accurate passer. I'd like to, you know, I want to see kind of how he is when he bulks up a little bit cuz he he had kind of the you know, he just you could tell he's a kid that needed to it's probably part of the reason why he didn't play more this year. He just needs to physically develop a little bit more and he'll do that this off season. Um, he will. Someone who I'm – he's a kid. His dad played at Kentucky. You know he dreamed of growing, growing up and playing. Yeah, legacy. Uh, for UK. So, I mean, it's a great story. There's no doubt about that. And he is someone who, uh, you know, he comes out first game of the year, throws three four touchdown passes. That, I mean, the hype's going to be crazy for the kid. Like, we talked about if you had hit Isaiah Epps on that one deep ball in his first game in Vanderbilt, I mean, he would have <laughs> never heard the end of it probably. So uh, and then Stoops wouldn't have played him anymore, and then that would yeah. be the highlight going into all the off season and recruiting. Yeah, so I mean, and that's another thing too, where I want to uh, circling back to Terry. Like he, he wasn't. I think we can reasonably say Bo is probably going to have better pieces at the skill positions around him than what yeah. Terry had that last year. Now I would still argue in 2018 it was not a. It might not have been a, a top-tier SEC room, but it was – they had the pieces to be a better throwing off. I mean, you had an NFL wide receiver in Lynn Bowden yeah. out there. You had Dorian Baker as a senior. I mean, David Bouvier was okay as in his role. Like Josh Ali was still there then. Like, like he was young, but, like, there, were, there were guys there. Do what? C.J. Conrad. I mean, you had – Conrad, yeah, yeah. I mean, like a huge one who I didn't even mention. Yeah, I mean, Conrad was there. Like, they had the pieces to have a better throwing offense and didn't that year. You could also make the argument that they, they stuck with what they needed to do to win, and that was run the ball and play good defense. I get that. So I will say Bo should probably be in a little bit better position to succeed. Um, so that, that'll be a, a thing to watch, Sean, moving forward. But, yeah, we, I just wanted to give our piece on Terry because Terry was a guy who came on this podcast before the season. I know we're all going to wish him well. I think all Kentucky fans are going to wish him well. Yeah, big, uh, big fan Terry. Big fan of Terry Derrick. I know you and I have always talked about how he handled the Joey Gatewood recruitment. and you know, Yeah, I said a lot a, about him, I thought. Yeah. yeah, and just a wonderful person, great family, uh, who helped Kentucky. He helped the program, made an impact, and now Kentucky has to move forward. And best of luck to Terry wherever he goes, and hopefully he kills it wherever he's at and he gets a chance to live out his dream of possibly playing professional football because I know that's why you want to take that extra years, oh, yeah. maybe to put yourself in a position to do something different. But, Derek, I don't think that – I don't think we got anything else to hit. I don't. Have we missed anything else on the football side? Nothing in the U.K. world. I think we're pretty much on everything there. 
things are kind of slowing down now on that front. Now that the bowl game's over, now the coaching staff's pretty much in place, and next thing will, will be recruiting in the transfer yeah. portal. Going there is some into... SEC news. I mean, I'm sure people saw it. There's actually a few things. Um, did you see the report from Chris? Lowe? I think it was Chris Lowe or Mark Slaybach, one of those guys from ESPN. That Tennessee is basically has a hiring freeze. Uh, they won't let Jeremy Pruitt make any hires, and they won't extend contracts. So there sounds like to me they're trying to push Jeremy Pruitt out. That they're trying to do this investigation or whatever, and they're going to try to get out of having to pay that buyout. So that's something to watch. And then in terms of South Carolina, another SEC East school. Well, I guess I'll go back to Tennessee real quick because Tennessee had a transfer. If you remember Virginia Tech's quarterback in the bowl game when Kentucky played them, Hendon Hooker, I think it's a very strange fit, but he committed to Tennessee. So we'll see where he kind of fits in well, that quarterback battle. Let me say this on Pruitt. If this one doesn't work out, at what point do we just start to say, Derek, that I don't know – it's going to take something like – magnificent to, to revive that program to where they're wanting to be. Because, uh, I mean, now look at it. You're a decade you're a decade wasted of nothing but no success. I mean, Butch Jones had a little bit there. But other than that, what exactly ha- have they gotten out of these last moves since, since Fulmer left? Kiffin one year, boom. Dooley lost to Kentucky, got fired with his orange pants, took them with him. And then you move to Butch Jones, he's <laughs> fired after Kentucky beat him. And then, and I was a Derek Dooley fan. I like that guy. But funny story, I, I can't tell on this podcast though. <laughs> about, tell me off the air though. About me and Derek Dooley. Yes, it happened at Missouri three years ago. It's it's, it's weird how many people I end up in the restroom with. That I've, Tom Kareen's one of them. That the last two years that I've gone to Georgia, we've ended we've ended up in the men's restroom at the exact same time. How does that work out? I have no idea. So, just funny story, but I'll tell you later. So, all that's happened, and now you got Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, it's a decade worth of just failure for what they've been wanting to do. How, can you imagine if the Kentucky basketball program went through that stretch? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't – the one thing I will say is I think Pruitt has recruited well enough that they're if they do fire him and they do hire somebody else – that I don't think that coach is walking into like a dire situation. But at the same time, I just don't know that they're like, I saw that that roster is going to be as good as like a Georgia per se. And that's who they think they should be competing with every single year. Florida might be a little bit down next year, but even then, like I just, at a certain point, that job is going to become one that you have to pretty much overpay somebody. I just don't know. Like, if you're a really good coach and you're looking at going there, it's just, is it worth going there now? Because you know you're, well, you're going to get like two years <laughs> to figure it out. Well, here's, and it's different in football than it is in college basketball. But here's my takeaway on it Tennessee needs a head coach, someone who has proven to be a winning head coach, not a coordinator. You need to start with someone who has, has won in other programs and built other programs. Like, I mean, Kentucky was able to go get John Calipari from Memphis. It, it's it's different, but can you imagine if Kentucky had to hire an assistant coach to replace John Calipari? Ten, yeah, uh, but, but you're at that point now at Tennessee that what head coach is going to move to Tennessee right. the way that they're, the short leash that they have with firing coaches after three years and things like that and just the expectations of that program and what it's kind of been for the last decade. I mean, they're just trying to get back. I think they would go back to what they had in Fulmer the last three years. Oh, yeah. Be but what you wish for, right? Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. So now you're at a, at a position and at a spot in the program 
like you mentioned, you're going to have to significantly overpay someone in times where you really can't afford to overpay someone and a staff to maybe get back on track. It's like Hugh Freeze the only option. Is that who they're? It, to me, I mean, it is. But then again, what do you what do you bring with that? Uh, I mean, you might have a good time, but it's probably not going to I mean, end well. Mitch but Bar- they Mitch would probably Barnhart. take that at this point. Mitch Barnhart looked the other way with all the stuff coming with John Calipari and all the, but it's also two entirely different situations. Yeah, I should I should not have compared John Calipari getting hired at Kentucky to Hugh Freeze getting hired anywhere. But I don't know. Well, you know Hugh Freeze is a good coach. I mean, obviously he's done great at Liberty. He was one of the few guys who consists, I'd say, consistently in terms of beating Nick Saban. Like he beat him a few times, which is better than most guys can say. Uh, and they had a lot of fun. They recruited a lot of good players. They were clearly cheating. They got in trouble for it. But I think Tennessee's at the point where they would take a – I mean, look at it this way. They're, they might, if this investigation goes a certain way, they might get a little NCAA sanctions anyway, and they didn't win <laughs> under Jeremy Pruitt. So he kind of had the worst of both worlds right there. But I don't know where Pruitt even sits on all this in terms of how he feels about it. Like – I'm telling you, Sean, I think that UK loss really broke that fan base. Like, you know, Georgia State was one thing to lose to them. They, that's an embarrassing loss. But, like, they have always hung their hat on being able to beat Kentucky even when they were bad. And when Kentucky went to their stadium and beat them by 27 points, and then they won, what, one more game the rest of the year after that? Like, I still see – I follow Wes Rucker. Wes uh, came on this podcast, I believe, right? And, yeah, the, the week uh, of that game week of the game so like i read a lot of his work and i mean i'm telling you he has pointed to that game numerous times as like a serious red flag for jeremy pruitt um well they say down there you know coaches who lose to tennis coaches who lose to kentucky get fired i mean well the last three coaches have lost to kentucky i mean Billy lost butch lost and then it's not like kentucky just drilled anyone i mean they beat south carolina late in the season after a bunch of opt-outs so i mean you lost to a kentucky team by 27 who couldn't even score 27 points themselves more than 90 percent of the season yeah yeah that was a rough game for them but yeah hendon hooker from virginia tech transferred to tennessee don't really know what that means i think it's a bit of an odd fit i mean harrison bailey was kind of supposed to be that guy and then they got a pretty highly rated kid coming in but uh, one last SEC news uh, to note, Mike Bobo, who was the interim head coach for South Carolina when they played at Kentucky last month, um, had planned to stay on on Shane Beamer's staff there, but he's going to Auburn. And so that has an SEC East opening. We'll see who Beamer goes and hires. That that will be an interesting decision for him. I will make a comment now. Uh, I'm going to show love to one school that I've kind of hated on on this podcast and then say something else. But first, oh, Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz, I think, is doing a pretty good job there. Like, when I'm when I'm thinking of the outlook for the SEC over the next three or four years, like, I, I certainly feel better about that program than I do South Carolina, Vanderbilt, probably even Tennessee at this point just yeah. because Tennessee is so dysfunctional. But uh, good job for Drinkwitz. They got a top 100 kid to transfer there from Ohio State. And but on South Carolina – like Missouri's just such there's so many different factors around Missouri than there is anyone else in the SEC just oh, yeah. where they're located and the yeah. kids that they have to recruit it's kind of it, I think we have to view that program in a different light because they obviously they can't dip into the south and just win recruiting battles right I mean and they were uh when they came to the league I mean a very successful big 12 program under 
uh, Hinkle, Pinkle. What was his name? Gary. Oh, Pinkle. Pinkle. Yeah, Pinkle. Yeah. How about Great coach. I about I got it mixed with Pinkle Field, Hinkle Fieldhouse, and Burr Butler yeah. plays in Indiana. Yeah. But uh, sorry about that, Gary. Um, no, they did a good job under him. But w- the point I was going to make, though, is going to South Carolina. Like the whole idea, it seemed like behind hiring Shane Beamer was to assemble this kind of all-star coaching staff around him. And, dude, they have just not done that. That that right there looks like a hire to me that's not going to work. Perhaps I'll be wrong. Uh, and this is before the guys even coached a game, so I shouldn't write them off yet. But, like, I still think, as, as we we talked about on this podcast, we were like, man, you know, Kentucky probably liked having Will Muschamp there. Well, one thing Muschamp could do is at least recruit some pretty good players. And we'll see if Beamer can even do that because he's not really assembling a great staff. And they were already kind of down on – well, I said he could recruit some good players. And I, I think their roster will show that in terms of recruiting rankings. But they just come, – they're coming off a two-and-eight year. Um, that's a pretty big job. And when you've got Clemson rolling the way Clemson is and you've got some of these ACC schools now that are doing pretty well, Mac Brown in North Carolina is recruiting some of the kids that maybe South Carolina used to be able to get. Like, that is not an easy job. So I think so far, if you're a UK fan, you should be pleasantly, maybe I'm pleasantly surprised. Maybe you should have expected, but like, I think you feel pretty good that that South Carolina rivalry or whatever you want to call it should stay, I think, in Kentucky's favor for, for I would say the next couple of years at least. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. But Derek, I think that pretty much covers everything on the football side. And then we'll get into basketball, I'm sure, with Mailbag episode tomorrow. Not much. I have some questions about uh, Shwebe. How do you say his name, Oscar Shwebe? Shwebe. Shwebe, yeah. So, I'll uh, get some questions about him tomorrow, if I had to guess. Yeah, I've already got two questions. None of them deal with that. Uh, I haven't even tweeted out the thing yet. We've got a couple of questions in the DMs and one came via email. Oh, no. So, yeah, people, yeah. Are, people are looking forward to Kentucky Daily. So we've talked about all these all these places who need improvement, but you know one place who doesn't need improvement, and that's the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Uh, make sure to get out to the Butcher's Pub if you're in those areas. We're extremely grateful for their support for Kentucky Daily, and soon as everything goes back to normal somewhat and we're able to do some on-site uh, shows on, on location there, we're, we're going to do that at some point, Derek. I know that's something we're looking forward to. And uh, just visit the butcherspub.com if you have any information. Everything's on there. They got a website dedicated to both locations. Specials vary between both. So if you're in Williamsburg, check their page on Facebook or check the page in Pineville if you're in those areas and are uh, interested in, in showing up to the Butcher's Pub for dinner, lunch, anything. Uh, their hours are posted there as well. They also have uh, information on how to contact them on their Facebook page or a call in number too. So, Derek. I know we're grateful for the Butcher's Pub, but we're also looking for anyone else who wants to advertise with Kentucky Daily. So if you own a business or know someone else that would like to have their business advertised on this platform at least five times a week, sometimes more, uh, you can reach out to me via email at gobigbluecountry at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at gbbcountry. Derek, you want to give your information as well? Yeah, on Twitter, you can follow me at Derek S. Terry. Um and you can go to the cat's paws. That's pretty much the only places you're going to be able to find me these days. <laughs> yep. So Unless you want to send an email. I don't, I don't get, I still get, I get some uh, old timers sending stuff to my cat's paws email, which I barely <laughs> ever check. So 
just hit me up on Twitter or if, if you want to. My DMs are open if you yep. want to talk to me. And if you're listening to this episode and you haven't seen the tweet or anything yet, we haven't put one out there for Mailbag. I'm, I'm sure we will by the time you listen to this episode, but you are more than welcome to send submit those questions via adding us on Twitter, uh, DMing us on Twitter, email, uh, Facebook, however you want to reach us, or me for sure. I know I have the Facebook side. Derek does not. Uh, but just feel free to send something. I'll see it. And uh, if for some reason we miss it, Send us another one because I know that there's a mailbag question we got to get to this week that I missed last week. But he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.